It's something for nothing. The Rush fan cast, Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, was it you? It wasn't me, Steve. It wasn't you? Are you sure you're not the one? I have no idea what I'm denying, but it wasn't me. You're not the one who won Whitey? <laughs> no, I wasn't the one who spent almost $400,000 on a guitar. That wasn't me. Amazing. Alex's auction was today. We're recording this on Friday, May 20th. And Whitey went for $384,000. That's crazy. I know. That is crazy. I actually thought it was going to go for more. I really did. Well, there's so many Rush fans out there, and it just takes two, right? To start a bidding war. I guess so. It takes two to outbid each other, right? There are a lot of Rush fans out there who have a lot of money, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. The Gibson Dove Acoustic went for 128000 <laughs> And the Gibson EDS-1275 went for $89,600. That's amazing. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. And the guitar you were talking about last week that you really love, the Illumisonic, yes. only went for 16000 Jerry, you could have bid on that. I really could have. If we had deferred my daughter's last year of college, <laughs> I definitely could have bought that. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what your bids were on the Alex auction at therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, masterful work by Lex, of course. And not only was the auction today, Jer, we went to the Hard Rock a few days ago and looked at some of the guitars, which was kind of cool. It was cool because, uh, you know, we didn't mention it on the show last week, but it was more than just Alex's guitars on auction. There were a whole bunch of rock and roll memorabilia on, on auction as well including one of Kurt Cobain's guitars. I didn't check to see how much that went for, though. I think the auction for that is this weekend. I think it hasn't happened yet. Oh, that's why I don't know. <laughs> Alex was today, and then Madonna yeah. and Kurt Cobain is this weekend. Oh, yeah, sure. Which, by the time you're hearing this, listener, has already happened, so you can check it out. Yeah, you can insert you know, your own back and forth about what they sold for. But I was surprised when we went to the Hard Rock. I thought we were going to see all of Alex's guitars. So did I. They only had three on display. They only had three on display. I thought all of them were going to be on display. That was my hope, is that it was just going to be everything on display, but only three. I'm glad I only worked 15 minutes away, because if I drove four hours to see that, I mean, it, <laughs> it would have been cool, but probably not worth it. Yeah. So anyhow, Jerry, we've got a couple of great guests to get to today. So let's get right into it. And Jerry, I hope you got an email to get us started today. Of course I do, Steve. It's like a fixture of the show. It is a fixture. Please hit me. This is from Dean. What's up, Dean? He says, I want to express my thanks and gratitude for your Something for Nothing podcast. I'm a fellow Northern New Jersey guy, a couple of years older than you, who also grew up on Rush. After hearing you speak, I know we've been to some of the same concerts together over the years. And I wonder if we'll also be at some future Rush-related happenings as well. I only discovered your podcast several months ago and have since been listening to them in sequence as often as possible. I still have a ways to go, catch up, and get current. I have learned so much from you both and have also laughed along the way. I appreciate how genuine you are. I know you guys tease yourselves a lot, but it's true. There are a lot of us that do seem to enjoy listening to the two of you sit around and talk about Rush. That's awesome. I can't imagine it still, but there it is. <laughs> As a fellow diehard fan, it's been tough adjusting to life in a retired Rush world, not to mention the sorrow and disbelief of Neil's passing that's still on many of our minds. Like I'm sure is the case with numerous Rush fans, I always had this dream of someday randomly running into Neil somewhere off the beaten track and sharing a casual, non-confrontational conversation or buying him a Macallan. Thankfully, Rush has left us with a lifetime's worth of truly incredible music that continues to amaze, entertain, and inspire. In a way, your podcast has given us fans an ongoing opportunity to experience some aspect of Rush, to enjoy your conversations about them, to hear interviews related to Rush, and to generally learn more about them and their music. In appreciation, Dean. Dean, thank you so much for those kind words. We appreciate you listening. And everybody else who's listening, I mean, we can't do it without you guys, right? That's true. I appreciate every single person who listens. Yep. So, Jar, we're here to talk about Hold Your Fire today. And track three on Hold Your Fire is Open Secrets. Close the light, protection. 
So, Jar here to help us with Open Secrets. We're thrilled to welcome Australian-born and Nashville-based singer, songwriter, and instrumentalist, Katie Cole. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Ooh, thank you very much for having me. I like to do my own audience noises. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, we like to start out by asking our guests their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Honestly, I mean, I have to say that I probably heard a song and I really like I'm stretching the boundaries of reality here. I probably heard a song, maybe two songs on Australian radio. I don't think that they were a huge thing in Australia. Maybe a song crossed the pond. I'm not sure. Obviously, after moving and traveling to America, it was like, uh, what have I been missing? (laughs) (laughs) But probably just listening, honestly, probably just listening to classic rock, I would imagine, and, and hearing you know, a song like Tom Sawyer or, you know, something like that, I imagine, would have been my origin. But it really wasn't until moving to America that I was like, okay, I need to know know more about this. This is part of the backbone of this country. There's a few bands that do that rush. Definitely the more um, fringe backbone, like they're one of the extra ribs or extra spinal (laughs) (laughs) bones. But I felt the same way about the band Journey. Like to say that Journey's not big in Australia, like American people look at me like like they cannot like physically comprehend the words that I'm saying. But I felt that same way about Rush that maybe they didn't quite make it over there. But I guess that's when I first heard them. Can't be certain, but that's probably true. So your cover of Open Secrets is so great. Let's just get that on the table right away. But it's from Hold Your Fire, which is considered by many to be a weak album in the Rush discography only because it's the heaviest, synthiest of all the albums. And a lot of Rush fans just want muscle as opposed to the, to the keyboards. So how did yeah. you come across this relatively uh, obscure Rush song? Well, I want to preface my history because I'm obviously I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm an American artist. I also play um random instruments as a touring musician in the Smashing Pumpkins. But like my whole upbringing was listening to, <laughs> like I'm not a super technical prog player, but like I, I grew up listening to a lot of, I suppose like this crazy collection of stuff, whether it was Steve Moss or Ingve or Loose Change, or I just listened to whatever sounded interesting to me growing up. So it was never like, oh, I just stay in one lane. I've never been that as a musician and I've never been that as a fan of music. A lot of people say they love music and just mean they like stuff within this one very small pocket <laughs> of, of sounds. But for me, I've always just gone wherever the song is. And with Rush, um, I stumbled across that song after I was crowdfunding again and I was doing a pledge music crowdfunding. One of the um, rewards for it was, you know, do a cover of a song, your choice, et cetera, et cetera. And Mm. like coming from having fans in all of these different genres, again, being a more Americana rootsy sort of artist and also being in the alternative world, I've got these, I've got a really wide range of fans that listen to, yeah, that listen to Rush, but also listen to, Amy Lou Harris. And, you know, that again, like, like myself as a listener, they don't stay in this one sort of small, they don't basically shut themselves off from the world of music. And some requested that song. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, I'm not familiar with that song. And then I looked through and I'm like, I'm also not really that familiar with that album. But once I sort of started listening through it and like what you were sort of starting to talk about, how it's a lot more synthy in, I don't want to say in its baseline for what it does, but it definitely embraces that side and they go all in with it. And that, that was what was really appealing to me. When I first heard that song, I was like, okay, the synth plays such a huge role in that song. How do I cover this song without that massive synth in there? Doing Van Halen Jump without the riff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like like right. you go, you know, you can still, I mean, you can still picture David Lee Roth in your brain, do, you're jumping around on stage, but it's just, it's not the same thing. And I feel there were a lot of bands in the mid and late 80s that kind of just went, you know, I'm just going to do this. And by 
being really comfortable, obviously Russia really established themselves, knew their identity, knew what they were about, and weren't afraid to sort of take chances. I think it would have, I mean, looking, looking and listening to what they've put out, you know, from their beginnings up until that point in time, it's like it, it, it's a bold thing. And I know people aren't always like, oh, that's great because you're trying something different. But in retrospect, as someone that I don't consider myself to be like a hardcore fan, I'm not like, they can only do this one thing. <laughs> like to me, <laughs> being a fan of something means you do you and I'll decide whether I like it or not. You doing what you do best and taking chances and being honest with what you're interested in. That's a huge part of a band's personality. And I loved the fact that that album went all over the place. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's probably scared fans at the time, but I'm sure fans come back to it now and they're like, that's one of the best albums. <laughs> <'Cause> that, usually, <laughs> that usually happens. Um, but once I sort of got really familiar with the song and was like, okay, the lyrics of this song are like a lot of Rush lyrics, I suppose, it's really deep. It's so deep and it's so like carting it's not super devastating but it's really honest and brutal about it and it's comfortable at being uncomfortable and i was mm -hmm. like well i feel like when i listen to the original version of it i'm not catching a lot of those lyrics i'm listening to the way that the song's going i'm listening to that big synth and i'm listening to and i want to like i mean like a lot of rush songs and you guys probably lose your minds over this all the time the way that getty sings he uses so much range all the time that you're like, you get used to it as a listener, but as a performer myself, like I'll come in to sing it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a guy and you're hitting stuff that I'm struggling with. Okay. Like, thanks very much. Cheers. So like, I thought, well, the thing that I can do as a musician, and again, I'm a simple musician was like, what are the things are that are really interesting to me? And what are the things that are universal about the song? Like what, whenever I'm thinking about covering something, I'm like, what's a keeper and what's not a keeper? Sometimes there's a counter melody in something that I'm like, if that's not there, the song doesn't have the same uh, legitimacy. It doesn't feel finished. And I'm like, if I take the synth out, it becomes a different thing, but that's okay. Because what I'm listening to is the melody and what I really want to hear are the lyrics. So that was my focus with the cover. I just was like, we'll just do, just do a couple of guitars and just sing the hell out of it. And that was why, like I do a lot of live covers for YouTube and some of them are really produced and some of them are literally just live guitar vocal or live piano vocal. Or if I feel like it's something's too complicated or I'm just going to bugger up everything, I'll pre-track a couple of things and then just go for it. And with that song, I was just like, I just want to sing it. I'm gonna have to read some of the lyrics, and like I know I've read comments on YouTube. They're like, "You could have learned the lyrics and better." And I'm just like, in the studio when I'm in the studio recording my stuff, I've got my own lyric sheets there. It doesn't make it any inauthentic. It just mm. makes it so that I'm not going to misspeak and I'm not going to mess up the lyric. I can also read the lyric and focus on the, the way that it's coming across the actual performance a lot more. So I'm not thinking about it. I'm just going, "How am I feeling?" Like it makes it a more genuine thing for me. But yeah, I, I, I try not to read too many YouTube comments because they, they're kind of funny. Yeah, that would drive you crazy. <laughs> but that song has been like a, like a crazy one for me on YouTube because, again, I did that as a, you know, a reward as part of a fundraising thing. And I was like, there's a lot of fans out there that love, not just love Rush, but love this song and have been hanging out to hear more covers by more artists and I know I know the answer to why there aren't more covers because their music is extremely difficult to play and it's extremely difficult to interpret you know, to do an interpretation of because you can very easily mess up this beautiful piece of music and I just thought here's this thing that I can do I'm gonna have to straighten out the song sorry everybody that can count in those crazy time signatures <laughs> I can't do that and that's one of the beautiful things about Rush that you can kind of tap along, nudge your head, or you can follow the beat, even though it's literally chopping and changing and changing to half this time, half that time, half this bar, half that bar. You don't notice it because nothing sort of makes you lose your focus on the song. But for me, playing an acoustic, you can't come in and out of time signatures. It doesn't, it doesn't translate that way. It's different with drums because it can 
it makes you do a four to the floor sort of tap your foot thing with drums, even if he's doing, you know, even if Neil's doing the hitting everything all over the place, something is consistently keeping it going. So for me, I was like, well, there's no drums. I've got to straighten out the rhythm. And I know it probably annoyed some listeners, but for the most part, people were just excited to hear a cover, which is, again, you guys heard it too. And we're like, okay, cool. (laughs) Were you surprised, Katie, by the reaction you got from Rush fans? I mean, did you think in your wildest dreams that that many people would react positively to it? Oh, no way. I was like, I mean... I look. I looked at the video, you know, before before we started recording this. Now, and I hadn't, I hadn't watched it in obviously quite a few years because I put th- that video out maybe four or five years ago. And like my hair's like tied up into like a messy bun, and I'm clearly just singing to sing. Like it's it's really just a live recording session of me just singing. And to have like that many views on it, and to have all these comments and people that are coming back to it and back to it and telling me how they feel about it, I'm like probably should have done my hair a bit better. <laughs> that's, that's, me, that's me, but on the, more, on the more serious side of things, it's just exciting to hear and to read people that A, have been moved by a song that they weren't expecting to like or a version of a song they weren't expecting to like. That's always surprising to me. I feel like if you're a, a prog fan or if you... I don't know if you like sort of smarter music quote unquote smarter music you're gonna stumble across youtube and hope there's a cover of a song that you like and you're probably gonna click play and you're probably gonna go this is probably gonna be terrible (laughs) 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 because their music is so complex it's so difficult it is not for beginners it's not for people that are part-time musicians you've got to know what you're doing to, to tackle their songs and again i'm like i can't it would take me forever to learn that song pre-record all those parts and be true to this synth and to that synth and that rhythm and that bar here and i'm like but when you're interpreting something and you're giving a performance again like I, as i said before like i strip it down and go well what's keeper what's not what can i do with this how can i change this this so that it will feel a bit more emotional. And that was sort of the, again, after reading the lyrics and really sort of absorbing them, I was like, this song is a lot more emotional than the original version um, displays it to be. It's, you know, I mean, you can hear it in, in Getty's voice when he sings, you can hear that there's passion there and there's struggle and relationships. Like you can just hear that there's a lot going on, but you're still listening to since going bah, bah, <laughs> and that's that takes focus all the glittery stuff up top will always take focus that's just how the brain works it's like oh pretty so yeah it was surprising to see so many fans go oh or so many just people that were just looking literally just looking for rush covers and you know they probably just typed in rush cover mm-hmm. you know and you know up, up pops my video of, of me singing along with a messy bun in my hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's surprising. And it, it made me go, well, what other artists out there are being um, overlooked in terms of their musical content? Because everybody, you know, it's very easy with, you know, today's music, you know, even you could say even the last 10 years of music to be like, well, it's a lot simpler. A lot of it is a lot simpler. It's a lot easier to understand. It's a lot easier to forget. And that's fine. That's, you know, that's kind of the nature of the music industry. But when you really love a band and you really love an album and you listen to it again and again and again and again, sometimes a song just hits a chord with you. And if if that particular song, Open Secrets, hit a chord with people, they're going to want to know if there's someone else that feels that same way, you know, or they'll start chatting in a, you know, whether it's on Reddit or in a forum or something and just be like, where can I find, or are there any other artists that are like this, or are there any more covers of things like that? And I don't know, it just, it just sort of made me think there's a lot of people out there that love a really diverse type of music, and they're probably not being served by content out there, which is a, sh- it's a shame. But again, it takes immense musicianship to learn material that complicated. And I don't know, it's, it's, it's just great. This is definitely one of Neil's most personal 
lyrics of everything he's ever written. He started really delving into his own feelings. And this is a very emotional song. And, and like you said, it, it kinda, you kind of lose that emotion a little bit in the song, but you definitely brought it out just by your arrangement and by singing it. And I just want to get your feelings on some of these lyrics because I think that the, the chorus is really the heart of this song where he says, well, I guess we all have these feelings we can't leave unreconciled. Some of them burned on our ceilings. Some of them learned as a child. The things that we're concealing will never let us grow. Time will do its healing. We've got to let it go. Now that is advice to a person in turmoil. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's so open. It, the interpretation of what that means is so wonderfully detailed and, and open and, and not vague, but like it's, it just it sums up what a lot of people feel a lot of the time, whether they're single, married, divorced, on their own, younger, older. It's just like, whoa, it's a, it's a really fantastic lyric. So what is your take on this song? What is happening in this song overall, lyrically and emotionally? Yeah, well, because it's not said... I don't think there's a direct through line that says this specific thing happened. Mm -hmm. Like if, if there was a one line in the song and like, I haven't caught it. If there was one line in the song that said, you cheated on me. This is just my basic analysis mm -hmm. as a, as a songwriter and also a, help people with songwriting as well. I would go, okay, then they're talking about this thing that they both are very aware of. And that's the cause of this turmoil and that's the cause of the struggle that they're not addressing. But I, I sort of feel like it's such a broad, the struggle that he addresses in that, especially in that chorus, I think it's a greater struggle. I don't think he addressed like this is the actual root of what this song's about. It's just saying life is it's, I, th I really think, I mean, that's, I sang it enough, I understood the lyric enough that I think it's more like life is a series of struggles. And it is, and it is, and that's, I mean, if you hold on to the things that make you feel heavy, that make you feel burdensome, you will bring them into your work, you'll bring them into your family life, you'll pass them on to your children. Those are the things that are the hardest to let go and that's i feel like that's one of the most important lines in the song you've got you've got to let it go all of those things that you're holding inside yourself even if they're hard to address you have to even if it's just with being honest with yourself whether it's being honest with you with your partner your life whatever your work whatever it is you've got to be honest or it will be the end of you and the title of the song is open secrets which means an open secret is obviously something that everybody kind of knows is true yep. or is happening, but nobody wants to talk about. So that's kind of the underpinning of this song too, is like everybody knows that this person has these issues or this problem, Yeah, but they're not addressing it. And he's, that's why he's saying, you just have to let it go. My only thing that makes me think it's relationshipy, and that's clearly not a word, <laughs> sure it is. Sure it is. Relationshipy is the line that's like, you know, the I should have looked at your face instead. Right. And then it's like, I could try to understand you, you could try to understand me, I could try to understand you. When it goes on in those when it's says that one line and then it goes into the bridge saying that, it makes me go, This is a relationship issue that hasn't been addressed. And whether it stems from Maybe, I mean, maybe it is that personal issue too. Like if somebody is horrifically in a state of depression, that is difficult to address. And if you are in a relationship where one person's having an issue, or maybe both people are and they're not discussing it, it doesn't have to be like a one person did this, therefore the other person did that. Or maybe it's just like everyone's going through their own turmoil, but when you're doing it together, it's even, it's <sighs> even harder. It's even harder if I'm stuck in my head and you're stuck in your head and we're both not talking to each other. It's like, you know, you never really know yourself how you're supposed to know somebody else. Right. And if they don't know themselves either, then it makes that conversation even harder. Um, it's, there's so many interesting poetic lines in this song that it really is open to interpretation, but it, I do think it's got relationship lines through it just because of those, just because of the language there. But 
you know, I think that the, the bigger heart of the song is just general struggle, but there's some sort of relationship thing in there. Yeah. And I think it's the relationship thing doesn't necessarily have to be romantic either. It could be parents and no. children or mm-hmm. friends, any kind of close relationship where one person is having issues or maybe both, like you said, both of them, because one of the lines yeah. is, mm-hmm. I never meant what you're thinking. That's not what I meant at all. Like maybe you're having an argument with someone. So yeah, it's definitely, um, interpretations are all in there, which is what makes it such a, a fantastic song. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, the whole understanding of what this song could be about is could just be what's in your mind and what's unsaid, like the amount of issues that causes alone. Because the reality of what we think and what we say, most of the time they're, they're not polar opposites, but they're definitely filtered a lot. Right. You might think 10 things and say half of one thing, and it may not even be the half of a thing that related to the other 10 things. That's just how the human brain works because you never want to offend people. You, you, want to, you want to prove that you are this type of person versus what you don't want people to assume you to be. So, I mean, there are so many things in this song that are, I suppose, psychology-based that it's, you know, he's a, he's a wonderful lyricist. I mean, I, it's, it could really be about a thousand things because of the way that it's written. I've got a quote here from Neil. It doesn't really explain what the song is about, but it does. <laughs> it ne- never does. <laughs> it does explain the perspective he was coming from when writing it. Oh, great. He says, quite a lot of my ideas come from having conversations with other people. I take their observations and viewpoints and personalize them. Unfortunately, a lot of people think these songs are personal statements. I don't want that to happen because it would seem I'm unburdening myself and that would be tiresome. One thing I personally hate is confessional lyrics, the one where people reach down into their tormented souls and tell me how much they hurt. That's really selfish and petty. I disagree with him 100%, but... <laughs> That's really interesting. I want to say both things. That I Obviously, he's saying that. I mean, he said that, so that's what he meant. But at the same time, I mean, this is me coming from me as a songwriter. The, even if you're talking about someone else, because I do a lot of that too, I do a lot of storytelling in my lyrics um, because there's way more exaggerated, interesting, darker, deeper, scarier, wonderful stories out there rather than what I've experienced. So I'd, I'd rather look out there and be like, but for me to talk about it, tell that story, I've got to understand the emotion behind it. I don't have to understand the full consequence or I don't have to have walked in those shoes, but I have to understand the emotional connection to it so that if I can empathize with it, then I can tell the story and other people can empathize with me. So if I nail the emotion of what the story is about, then you can tell that story. So I totally understand what he's saying about not wanting to just write confessional lyrics and just being like, me, 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 because I, I feel that same way that when you get into a more, uh, whether it's being, uh, de- you know, a d- depressive writer or accusatory writer. It's not that it, I, I mean, he says it's selfish and like, I, I understand him saying that. I wouldn't say it's selfish. I just think you're closing yourself off to all the other stories out there. Like th- there's all this other stuff and there's all these other people. And like what he said, when you talk to people and they tell you their story, it's like, oh, wow, that's completely, maybe somebody has a completely different viewpoint than you. Maybe somebody's lived a completely different lifestyle to you. Maybe have the polar opposite political views or economical views, and you're just like, oh, okay. But everybody's coming from somewhere. But all those stories, all those things exist out there to just go, these are my experiences, and I only want to write about what I know. It's like saying, here's a giant piece of pizza. Like, here's, no, here's the whole pizza. I just want to eat one little shred of mozzarella cheese because <laughs> I know what that is. Whereas to me, have the whole slice. Go for the slice, and then this is the worst analogy ever. But, <laughs> but at least you get a little bit of you get a little bit of everything, and you go, "That's a better representation of what this bigger picture really is." May not be the whole picture, but it's a much bigger representation. Again, illustrated with the analogy of pizza. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think um, I think he nailed that. Just explaining what he said, but. I think to be able to have written these lyrics, it takes understanding at least in a minimal sense to understand 
emotionally the distress that comes across in those lyrics he's got to have experienced that even if that's not the story the emotion and the distress and the panic and the anxiety that's present in those lyrics that's real and that's true and like to me if i pick up on that and that's true then he was coming from an honest place even if again if the story someone else says i don't care that's real and honest and that connects with me and that's why people will read the lyric and listen to this song and go me too i personally love a good song where someone's just spilling their bile all over the floor though so <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm looking for well it can work and if you're that type of writer great i'm not but there i know there's tons of people that are like that that are like i can only tell my story that's my story unless it happened to me i can't da, 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 da. that's great for me i can't do that i just can't i can't only do that parts of it can be there but the rest i've got to i've got to borrow from the rest of humanity otherwise <laughs> it'll just be it'll just be boring and all my songs will be about cats <laughs> <laughs> so katie you have another connection to rush tell us how you met super rush fan billy corgan and how you started working with him well, that was a smooth segue <laughs> <laughs> steve is the king of segways i don't know how he does it he, he can make a segue out of anything now speaking of things you could put on pizza you could put pumpkin on pizza <laughs> look honestly i mean my my connection to the to the pumpkins i've told this story quite a few times was we i mean we share a mutual producer engineer um howard willing and howard produces and works on my material and he's also been a long long time collaborator with the pumpkins since i think the machina era like 2000 99 2000 somewhere along in those decades <laughs> in the long time ago before covid and billy was aware of you know who i was as an artist and um i think this was around the time they were making an album in 2014 and he was about to do some shows at where was he oh at uh, ravinia pavilion that's where it was and he asked me if i wanted to open up an acoustic show for him and I was like, yes, I mean, it's not, again, like not my audience, but I'm like, if I'm playing acoustic guitar and singing and again, like very much like this Rush cover sort of can showcase a song when it's sort of scaled back, will just tell a story and people will interpret how they want and they'll either like the song or not like the song, they'll either like the way I sing or they won't. They'll either like the way I do my thing and, you know, do my show and banter and chat to the crowd and say goofy stuff into the microphone, I should say. and. You know they'll either like that or not so i played that show and obviously i built a you know quite a few fans from that one that first show and i thought oh this is just a one-off and that's the end and thank you very much and good night and then the, the next year you know billy asked howard who asked me and he was like would would she want to open up uh, an acoustic tour and it was it was the in plain song tour in 2015 which was going to be more an electroacoustic evening, uh, which was like basically some acoustic songs, some songs with Jeff Schroeder on, on guitar and, and some songs that were going to be to track as well. And then it became, do I want to open up the show and also play bass during the set? And I play guitar, I play or play whatever you want me to play. So I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I'm, I, guess I'll, I will do that. And obviously jumping into the deep end of learning Smashing Pumpkins songs, you know, is a lot because again, they, you know, Billy, as, as you very aptly stated, is a, is a Rush fan. He's, he, there's a lot of, you know, people, with, uh, you know, mis, miscategorize the Smashing Pumpkins very often as being grunge and it's alternative and there's a lot of prog elements in a lot of what they do. You know, some songs will s sweep right over the psychedelic field and some songs are just like, a lot there's a lot of song a lot of changes and a verse is in a verse and there's half a bridge and then there's half a verse and half a chorus and then there's a half bar and then it changes here and then you're like oh my god my brain's gonna explode so i jumped into that and then the following year it became a bigger leg of that tour where jimmy chamberlain came back to play drums and james eha came to play guitar on a couple of shows on that tour too and i was again playing bass with them and my relationship has just continued with them recording um i did some background vocals on one of billy's solo records um cotillions and i've toured in 2018 doing shiny and oh so bright tour as well and 
and we did a big European tour and that was a huge, huge, you know, wonderful, wonderful experience in doing a few months in Europe, um, which came with some solo acoustic tours, um, shows with, with Billy as well. So we got to travel around and do some acoustic shows too and we built a really great fan base. And in Europe, again, pre-COVID times, you know, a long time ago, but, it, you know, it's been a really fruitful sort of relationship because it's, it was un, not unthinkable, but it's a little bit unheard of to be like, I'm an Americana artist. I play acoustic songs and I'm also in a touring band that plays alternative and prog music. Like the two fan bases are wildly, wildly different, yeah. but I've worked out they're not. They're not at all because a lot of what Billy Corgan does as a solo artist isn't really too far removed from what I do. Like when he sort of scales back to acoustic or he's, you know, he's put out more Americana sort of records or folk records and it's like then the fans kind of go, oh, okay. <laughs> they, sort of, they sort of get it a little bit more. And I um, did the, all the background vocal arrangements on the Sia record, which was their more synth, you know, their more synth sort of infused album that came out in 2020 and the fans out there started to go, oh, okay, she does more. Okay, it's not just like a touring thing. She's actually contributing to some of the soundscape of what the band really does and that's continued on. I actually just finished working on um, the next record, which is a triple album because 20 songs for Sia wasn't enough. This one's 33 songs. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, did, I didn't misspeak. It's 33 songs. <laughs> um, so I did all the, all the background vocal arrangements again with Billy on those, and it's a whole lot, a lot. It's a lot. You guys are going to love it. But there's so many elements within what he does as a musician that I could see parallel a lot of Rush things. You know, he, him, it's like the way that, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't liken Billy to, to Getty in, the, in his we know musicianship, but the relationship that like you can see the chemistry of what each musician brings to the table and what they do in a creative sense. Like, I don't know, there aren't that many bands that can get away with the sort of jazz and prog elements, especially in the drums. Like you can't fake those types of uh, rhythms, counter rhythms, sections, timing changes. You, you either know what you're doing as a musician or you don't. You can't pretend to just all of a sudden do something really technical. You, you've got to understand the origins of where that comes from, where it works in the song, when to cut it off and go back to like this, this part of the rhythm or that part of the rhythm. You've really got to understand the songwriting to, and have those chops to be able to do that. And I see parallels with, with, with Rush to the Smashing Pumpkins for that reason, that there's especially like the chemistry between Billy and Jimmy, like they've got this, I don't know, it's, it is kind of like a bit of a prog unit that they've got going on there. And it's interesting to play with and interesting to, interesting to watch. Um, but, yeah, I've, I suppose but I've also had other sort of connections there. Like I, I got to see the opening of the Rush documentary, the Behind the Lighted, the Lighted Stage, when that opened in Hollywood. I think it was a man's Chinese theatre. Mm -hmm. I got to see that with a friend and I was like, again, not a huge Rush fan. I think I was one of two women in the audience <laughs> but i was like you know like i was like i don't know lots about the band but i'd love to know like some of the origins and hear the story really be told in a yes you can go look up your phone look at wikipedia and be like, oh i know everything now and it's like okay well but to hear a you know a professional take on the band's origin building, you know, members changing here and when this person came in, this person left or whatever, hearing those stories, like that's that's really fascinating. I really liked that documentary. I'd like to watch it again at some point. Just went off on a tangent. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. And uh, and Billy, you guys must have some good conversations about Rush too, no? I don't know. Like I know that there's been some conversations. I've heard Billy geek out more on stuff like Judas Priest, <laughs> you know, I, I think that would be more of a conversation between him and maybe Jeff Schroeder. Again, I'm not a technical player. I have a great memory. That's what gets me by. I just remember, I remember where these changes are, where this is, what that is. 
if anyone starts talking technical terms about this song or that song or that album or this and that, like I, I might literally, my eyes might go in different directions a little bit. I know that we've had conversations, but I don't think it's been anything really in depth. But I will pay attention if they come up next time and I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> if I hear any tidbits. Well, as you mentioned, Katie, the, the great thing about you doing this cover of Open Secrets is it's opening up a whole new fan base to your music. Can you tell Rush fans where they can find your music? Oh, yeah, it's on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> you have a live journal, too? Yeah. It's, I've been really fortunate to watch. My YouTube's been one of those really wonderful places where people have stumbled across a song, like, you know, in particular, that cover of open secrets and then they've gone oh what else is going on like i'll immediately see a comment about the song and then i'll see like somebody clicked the subscribe button so youtube's a good place to sort of stumble across some interesting stuff for me um like almost all my socials are katie cole official except for twitter which is katie cole music because twitter gave me a check mark and if i change the name then it will uncheck that mark and then mm. i'll cry but everything pretty much is katie cole official and if you like i i sort of make it that if you stumble across one site you'll find something else there and but if you end up on youtube you'll definitely find it there's a lot of rabbit holes to sort of go down i've got a lot of covers i've been i've been on there sort of building content for a number of years and i'll occasionally check back like i looked in i looked into my youtube today and was like had a million streams on YouTube. Wow. <laughs> did the number and I'm like, but I was like, when did that I was like, when did that happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> clearly it was clearly I'm not like some somebody who's chasing the numbers, but I was like, that means that there's a lot of people that are just stumbling across a song and going, well, what else is there? And then obviously and then like you do when you stumble across anything that you're interested in, you'll go listen to a bunch of other stuff and then all of a sudden you you're like, okay, where did that last hour go? Well, I'm supposed to be working or whatever. Um, but yeah, if there are some fans out there, I hope you also like music that isn't Rush, because that's that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Katie, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast and sharing your opinions and your story behind Open Secrets. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So before we move on to track four, we thought we'd play Katie's version of Open Secrets in its entirety. You're going to love this. Here it is. Unreconciled 
Some of them burn on a ceiling Some of them burn as a child The things we are concealing Will never let us grow Time will do its healing You've got to let it go Let it go So, Jar, how amazing was that conversation with Katie Cole? I mean, we loved the cover so much, and I love her even more. She's amazing. Yeah. I just love talking to musicians and hearing them talk about the music they make and the decisions that go into the things that they do. It's endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Katie, thank you so much for joining us again. And track four, Jar, on Hold Your Fire, it is Second Nature. Make choices And choices got to have voices Folks are basically decent Conventional wisdom would say Well, we read about the exceptions In the papers every day It ought to be second nature Get closer But I'm ready To make a deal So, Jared, help us out with Second Nature. We've got Radio DJ from El Paso, Texas, 95.9 KLAQ. He's also got a band called Second Nature, coincidentally. Daniel Paulus, welcome to the Rush Fancast. How's it going, guys? It's going great. We like to start out by asking our guest, Dan, their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? Oh, man, I love telling the story. So my dad is a huge Rush fan. He actually got me into Rush with Grace Under Pressure. He was playing Red Sector A. He played After Image. And I was just a little kid. I was like three years old. But I knew instantly I was going to like it because I was starting to move to it. I was starting to groove to the drums. And I knew right there Rush was the band for me. (laughs) And it just took off from there, dude. And I'm a drummer. And when you're a drummer, you hear Neil Peart and you think, oh, that's the guy. That's what I want to do. That's how I want to play. But when you're starting out, you can't just go into Tom Sawyer 
or YYZ and just think, oh, I got this. No, no, no. You got to start off slow. So eventually I worked my way to playing those songs, but it was grace under pressure, moving pictures. And honestly, time stands still. That was another song that really got me into Rush. So, And how about Hold Your Fire in general as an album? How does it stack up in your estimation against some of the older albums? You know, I think a lot of the songs still hold up very well. I still come back to Force 10. I still come back to Mission. I still come back to Lock and Key. I know it's a very, I don't want to say divisive album because it was during that 80s period of where keyboards really took the front and center for the band. But I will always hold this true. There is not a single bad album by Rush. Every album is great. Every album has beauty to the beholder. There's songs that stand out. And for me, Hold Your Fire, while it may not be the best Rush album, it's still damn good. And I think it may be on like the lower scale, but honestly, I still find so much enjoyment from listening to a lot of the songs, especially High Water. As a drummer, I love listening to all those weird. So I, I still come back to it if I just want to listen to something creative. You know what I mean? So we're here to talk about Second Nature, and I've got a quote from Neil to get us started. It's a conciliatory message. If we can't reach perfection in this world, then let's at least settle for some degree of improvement. Sometimes we have to accept something less than total victory. It's like the difference between compromise and balance. The politician who campaigns for clean air but doesn't want to close down the stinking factory in his area because thousands of people will lose their jobs. My viewpoint is that I'll take as much as I can without hurting other people. Your thoughts? I mean, it's a great message. And it's one of those phrases, you know, second nature. And it's one of these songs that while it was written back in 87, so, you know, about 35 years ago, it still holds up in today's day and age, especially with everything going on in politics, going on in the the Russian-Ukraine situation. I mean, I don't want to go heavily into that, but it's still, like, it rings true. You know, I know not everyone's going to think the same way. We're not going to think this is the right way, this is the wrong way, but there's got to be that middle ground. There's got to be that fine, okay, look, we need to make it so that everybody can prosper everybody can feel like okay this is a good situation this is what's best for everybody and it's never an easy choice but sometimes it's the choice that has to be made yeah and the title second nature you know is something that should come easy to you after practice absolutely so you know you have your first nature which is what you would normally do without any kind of impediment whatsoever but then you have your second nature. And that's what they're saying. That's what he's, he's saying in the song, I think, is that this kind of, like he said, conciliatory message has to be, you know, our reaction. It has to become second nature to us. It has to be an automatic response right. to the problems that we face, you know. And that's why it starts off, I think, a memo to a higher office, an open letter to the powers that be, to a god, a king, a head of state, a captain of industry, to the movers and the shakers. Can't everybody see? We have to do things that are in the best interest of everyone and balance it all. I agree. Do you think this is a message to our world leaders or a message to us or a message to both guys? I think it's a message to everybody. Anybody who has power to influence somebody in their life, no matter how small or how big it is, you got to do what you think is right for everybody. I mean, it's, it definitely applies to all the presidents out there, all the world leaders, but even just your boss or just your, your parents. Right. It, if I, yeah, I think it applies to everybody in this sense. It's also an extremely difficult thing to do because, you know, if you get five people in a room, you could debate for an hour where you're going to go for dinner. Oh, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Never mind trying to make, you know, policy that's going to affect millions of people. These, these, it's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. 
But, you know, he also says, you know, folks have got to make choices and choices got to have voices. Folks are basically decent. Conventional wisdom would say, while we read about the exceptions in the papers every day. <laughs> so again, you know, it's just like we like to think that the people that we're talking to have the same kind of aims and interests that we do and want to do things exactly the same way that we do, because we think that we're trying to make things to benefit everyone. Right. But, you know, some people have different ideas and the, you know, the exceptions are the, the ones we read about in the papers every day. You know, we don't, it's obviously most people aren't committing crimes because it's just not in the best interest of everyone around you to go around stealing. But obviously there are exceptions to that. Yeah. So I love Neil's example of the politician who wants to shut down the factory because he wants clean air, but he also doesn't want to shut down the factory because he doesn't want the people to lose their jobs. We fight the fire while we're feeding the flames. Sums it up perfectly, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to the whole, um, there's no easy solution. You know, there's no black and white. There's a lot of gray. But that's why you got to talk to somebody. That's why you got to communicate with everybody so that you can try to meet that middle ground that may not be the most ideal solution, but it's a solution that can get us towards that ideal solution. Right. And there's also the, the acknowledgement that these kinds of negotiations are changing every day. Cause he says today is different and tomorrow the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's followed with, it's hard to take the world the way that it came because we're trying to, you know, change the situation. Sometimes some situations, unfortunately cannot be changed and we have to work our way around them. Right. Now, musically, this is one of Rush's most beautiful songs. You know, we've talked a lot, Jerry, talking about Hold Your Fire, that Alex has kind of had to find his way in some of these songs. And his guitar work on here is just brilliant, I think. Oh, yeah. It's definitely almost ballady, right? Mm-hmm. It has a, a ballady qual- quality to it, especially at the beginning. With that opening keyboards. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's funny, too, because I remember watching behind the lighted stage and alex said that a lot of those 80s albums he wasn't really crazy about but like you said he had to find a way to make it work but honestly i think when you really come down to it these songs sound beautiful and i think that influenced a lot of the sound that alex would take outside of rush with a lot of the keyboards you know maybe back then he didn't appreciate it but nowadays i think he does I mean, look at Envy of None. Like a lot of that has that keyboard sound, a lot of that pop sound that you hear in some of these 80s uh, Rush albums that kind of carried over. So I think you uh, like to listen back to him. Be like, yeah, you know what? I think this shit was awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, the type of guitar sounds he was making are present even on like Presto, even after this. He was still, yeah, you know, really, really hitting that wah-wah bar. You know what I mean? He's yeah. really hitting that tremolo. <laughs> really hard on some of those songs and that's the kind Absolutely. of thing he needed to you know attack on on these songs too mm-hmm. and this has got to be one of getty's finest vocal performances too right up there with available light for me i mean it is just amazing right i love it very tender it is very tender it's one of the few rush songs i can sing halfway through i can get to the <laughs> i can get halfway through it right and be able to sing along to it but yeah he definitely you know he drops down his register a little bit and it's a very tender song. And that's what I love about Rush is that the lyrics most of the time were, were Neil's, but Getty was the voice behind Neil's words. Mm-hmm. And I know when you write a song that's sung by somebody else, it is hard to truly get your message out. But Neil and Getty were fan bleeding fantastic. Getty knew exactly how to enunciate the right tone, the right pitch, the right kind of melody to go along with it. So for Getty to sing such in a beautiful, ballady way, I don't think there's anyone who could have sung this song better and portrayed Neil's message perfectly, more perfectly than how Getty sings the song. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's really one of those songs you have to listen to to fully appreciate it. Not just listen to three guys talk about how great the song is. You need to do yourself <laughs> a favor and put it on, put the headphones on and sit back 
and relax. <laughs> it's it's that damn beautiful. Getty's always been, you know, the interpreter almost. You know what I mean? Yes. It's one thing to have the 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 lyrics, but then, like you said, to sing them over yeah. something and and give them the kind of weight and meaning that they deserve. Absolutely. So Dan, you've got a band and the name of your band is Second Nature. Why did you choose the name Second Nature for your original band? So I've always related music to everything I do in life. No matter how happy I feel, how sad I feel, I always relate music to how I'm feeling. And, and I'm a logic thinker. I do things based on what I think is the best logical choice. And since I relate everything to music, I can literally think of a song. When you say a word or a phrase, I'm instantly thinking, oh, that reminds me of a Led Zeppelin song. Or, hey, that reminds me of this song by Queen. It just came naturally to me. And music comes naturally to me. That's why Second Nature just it came naturally to me that this is what I want to write about, what I want to do, how I portray it. And if anybody else doesn't like it, well, I don't care because this is how I feel about it. I do things logically and I do things without giving it a second thought. I just do what I think is best, what I think comes naturally and making music, relating things to music just comes second nature to me. That's why I call my band second nature because it's just me. Whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, that's up to me. Well, thanks so much today for joining us on the Rush Fancast, Daniel. We really appreciate you helping us break down second nature. Absolutely. And again, like I said, give the song a listen to. It is seriously one of the most underrated songs from Hold Your Fire. I, I, you can make that argument for a lot of songs on that record, but Second Nature really is just a beautiful song. If you want to hear some fantastic guitar work, fantastic keyboard track, Band bleeding tastic drums. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Getty's angelic voice. Listen to Second Nature. Don't take our word for it. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you guys very much. So, Jar, Second Nature is one of those songs on Hold Your Fire that's kind of underrated, I would say. Definitely. It's slow, like I said, maybe ballady. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things I think that people who don't like the keyboard era have a problem with about Hold Your Fire mm. is that it's a different type of song for Rush and not everybody could, you know, jump on the train for whatever reason. But we did find someone who did jump on the train and that That's is Daniel. Right. And he's riding that train to the end. Yeah, it really is a great song. I mean, with all Rush albums, you have to take the thing that's in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. You have to experience the album on its own, divorced from the other albums, because they are all so different. You have to appreciate each one for what it, what it brings. And Hold Your Fire, I'm discovering even more and more about it every time we talk about it, and I'm loving it more and more every time we talk about it. Yeah, I'm really glad that we decided to do this, because listening to it again, it's usually, even though I love the album, it's not one of my go-to albums. So having any excuse to listen to it, it's been great. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at the TheRushCast. Email Jerry. Let him know what you thought of our conversations with Katie Cole and Daniel Paulus at TheRushCast at gmail.com. Base intro and outro, of course, that is Lex. And Jerry, I hope you have a quote to wrap this up for us nicely. I do, of course. It ought to be second nature. I mean, the places where we live. Let's talk about this sensibly. We're not insensitive. I know progress has no patience, but something's got to give. No one is blameless, Jar, but we're all without shame. That's absolutely true. <laughs> Take it easy. All right, see ya. <laughs>